Well, hello. This is Sunday's message, and I'm looking forward to it and hope that you're looking forward to hearing from God, knowing that God wants to speak to you this Sunday morning, January 10th. This is an exciting time to be alive, to see what God's going to do with this COVID-19 and how he's going to work through it. And so it is an exciting time. It's a time to watch and see God's hand move amongst people and how God encourages people and how God uplifts people and how God helps people and how God sustains people, how God heals people. And yes, the manner of how God calls some of us home. These are some exciting days. Because there's still the day or the days in which God himself has created for you and I to live through. And God doesn't promise us when we become Christmas Christians a rose garden. We go through the same thing that people of this world go through. And that's why also many Christians have also died of COVID-19. Uh, it's just another way in which God calls people home. Whether it be through cancer, which ungodly people and godly people both wind up suffering through. Uh, heart attacks uh, uh, is just part of life. And the Christian, though he is saved, still has to live in this world and experience many things that the ungodly also experience as far as life. But we're experiencing them differently because we go at it differently. We have a different form, a different book of instructions. We have a different way of dealing with the issues and the problems, even sickness and cancer and diabetes and and, and, and weaknesses. We deal with them a little differently. And we look at them differently because we know we serve a sovereign God. And whatever he does, he does it for his purpose and for his glory. And we are meant for his purpose and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for another day that you've given unto us. And we pray today, Lord, that you would equip our ears to hear. And you would make our hearts ready to receive. And you would give us a desire, Lord, to hear from you. So would you speak, O oh God, to your people and to those who you want to interact with today? Would you minister to us as we sit at the feet of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Would you, O oh God, do only what a living God is able to do in our lives? And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at a couple of verses in the book of James. <clears throat> because the people there are also going through trials and they're going through their own tribulations. They're having their own hardships. They're going through difficulties also. 
And we need to understand the difficulties in life are a way of educating us, preparing us, developing us, strengthening us. They're not so much just for the present time as it is for my learning and preparation for something in the future. And hopefully that while I'm learning at the present time that I really do learn that it can be applied later in life. And God has a way of teaching us now what is needed later on in life. He prepares us for yet a life to come, in a sense. And that's what he does with his people. So in James chapter 1, James is going to start off, and I like the way James starts off, because James doesn't start off with uh, giving his titles or giving that he's this or that. James starts off with something we all can simply identify with. James, a servant, the servant of God. James doesn't put himself up here or down here. James just puts himself as a servant. He doesn't explain any of his credentials per se or who he may really be. And we know there was a couple of James over in the gospel. But he just says, James, a servant. And others have made other suggestions of who this James might be. But one thing is certain. He's a servant of the living God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I like that the way he just emphasizes that, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we all are who named the name of Christ. We are the servants of God in Jesus Christ. And we serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. And he's writing to a particular group of people. And. <coughs> Excuse me again. He's writing to a certain group of people. And yes, it's to the Jewish people. And he identifies them as saying the 12 tribes scattered among the nations the 12 tribes scattered among the nations but don't let that hold you back from knowing that this is also written to you and to me that it is written to the people of God the, the, the servants of God the people who love the Lord Jesus Christ is written to us because we're going through some of the same Identical things that the people of that day were going through. And the things that they had to learn, we still have to learn. Isn't it strange? Boy, yeah, I went to school over 70 years ago. And I was learning math, writing, reading, history. And guess what? Kids are still learning writing, reading, mathematics, history. Haven't a lot changed. Maybe some of the details of history and a new way of doing math. 
and I have fun with my grandkids because they can do it their way and I do it my way, but we come up with the same answer. Uh, my daughter sometimes explained to me, it takes them into more detailed thinking. I said, how much thinking you got to do to know two and two is four? Uh, it's, I know I kind of simplify it and we have fun with it. But that's the way in which I was taught back then. And they have a more advanced way of doing it today and, uh, and drawing all these little boxes and doing all these little different things to deduct to get to their answer. And I said, you don't have time in the store when you give a person $10 and you're supposed to give back $5.50. That's not hard to figure that you spent $4.50 there. I mean, it's not a whole lot to um, learn there, you know. Uh, you're not going to draw your four boxes and do all this other, but uh, I better get off of that but get back on James. <laughs> but the thing is simply this. James is writing to all of us. It doesn't matter what the title might be, and that's what I'm trying to get to. It's not just the 12 tribes that he's writing to. He's writing to the people of God. He's writing to the Christians. And Christians are scattered all over the world into every nation, just like the Jews were, the 12 tribes were. Uh, he could be writing to what we could call today the saints, the children of God, the priests of God, the ministers of God. Uh, we could put that title out there on that and it's saying the same thing, the people of God. Yes, be specific, the Jews. And I'm not a Jew, per se. But I'm circumcised in my heart. Like the Jew was circumcised outwardly, I'm circumcised inwardly. But again, the point is, he is directing this to the people of God. To those who are born again, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's talking about their trials and their temptations and, and gentle living life in a strange land, in a different land, where people might despise them, people might not recognize their belief or the person who they believe in, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, makes life a little bit harder for you because you're willing to follow the rules or the regulations or the teachings of Jesus. It makes it just a little bit harder. And James is writing again to the people of God. He is writing to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And that's the real point here. A lot of us have a religion and so forth and we believe in something but it has no power. Turn me to 1 Corinthians 1.8 because there has to be something more than just saying this is what I believe. And the issue really boils down to is there anything concretely there to show that this is of God? And in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.18 he simply says it in this manner. Let me get there. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those outside of Christ, they, they'll laugh at us and 
they'll talk about how foolish we are to believe this or believe that, that uh, this man was able to re, uh, feed 5,000 people from 12 fishes and a loaf of bread. He was able to do this and he was able to walk on water. How foolish it is to believe that. Nobody walks on water. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. How can one man dying on the cross save everybody else but like the Pharisees yelled up to him? Uh, save yourself and we'll believe you. Save yourself. But he couldn't save himself in a sense. But he didn't come here to save himself. He came here to die for you and I. That we might have life. So that's foolishness. That's foolishness to a lot of people. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. That there is a power that is demonstrated in our life that is very evident that the changes that take place in a Christian life is not done just by somebody saying, I'm going to change. I'm no longer going to do this or do that. But it's outward change, but nothing inwardly has changed. The thinking really hasn't changed. And the thing is, is that the gospel demonstrates, the one who truly believes in the gospel, it demonstrates there's been a change in thinking and behavior. There's a change in the attitude. There's a change in doing and why we do it. And the real purpose behind it. And he says that is seen through the power of the word of God by the work of the Holy Spirit that takes place in us. And we need to recognize it takes a power of God to live out a Christian life. Not a religious life, but a Christian life. And oftentimes we miss that. People can, come, can become very religious and they can follow a bunch of rules. Well, I'm not following so much a bunch of rules as I am following a person by the name of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit gives me insight to walk as he walked. To teach me how he acted. Remember that little saying, what would Jesus do? That's what the Holy Spirit is teaching me. How would Jesus respond in this situation? What would Jesus do? And he empowers me then to live that out, to demonstrate that Christian life, that Christ-like life. is not something that just is going to come upon me and, boy, it's changed. No. But it's the inward working of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to develop me as a man of God or a woman of God. And he's the one doing the work. So in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, and this is what's going to take place somewhat in James 1, that you identify your own weaknesses. You identify what is lacking in you. We identify my weak points. We identify where I need the help 
to be able to walk and to live as Christ would. Those things by the individual Christian has to be identified and then put to the side and ask for the wisdom and the knowledge and the help that is needed in order now to live the Christian life, to live as Christ would live and as the Holy Spirit would have you to live. And we find ourselves then boasting, not in our strength or our power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling Christ. So in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, get my eyes focused on it, Paul is going to say this. Boy, come on, verse 9, where art thou? He says, I'm going to start in verse 8 because I can pick that up pretty easy. Three times I pretend, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, his sickness, his ailment, his weakness. And here's verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. Catch that first of all. My grace is sufficient. What I've given to you is sufficient. For you, for my power is made perfect. My power, not your power. Not the strength that somehow you're able to conjure up or you're able to go to the gym and press bench 400 and something pounds or 300 pounds or whatever it is. He said, it's not by your strength. It's not by the muscles that you have. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. My power, God's power in our life, God's power in my life is made perfect in weakness. But I have to be able to say, I'm weak in this area, Lord. I need your help. Lord, I'm not sufficient to do this. I need your help. Now the power of God is now demonstrated through us that he might be glorified, that it is no longer the flesh that is at work, but something far, far greater than the flesh or the body that people see that is at work within the person. And he said, it's made perfect in weakness. Now catch this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. And, and James says, rejoice in your trial. And Paul is saying, boy, I rejoice even more. Therefore, I boast. I rejoice more. And all the more gladly. Boy, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. I'm rejoicing even more. Because I identify my own weakness, but I see God's power at work in my life. I will boast all the more gladly about the weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm boasting about my weaknesses, but I'm also declaring what God has enabled me to do. Boy, that's great. That's wonderful. To admit I cannot perform or I cannot do or I cannot live up to this or that standard. Boy, 
men don't like to talk about their weaknesses. They they want to brag about their strength, but not about their weaknesses. They don't want to talk about their fearfulness, things they're scared of. I wish you could have seen me just before I sat down here and started and how I had to remind myself, Lord, I can't do this without you because I'm nervous, I'm, I'm frightened, I'm scared. And sometimes I have those little thoughts back when I was in grade school and how kids used to laugh at me and, 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 and make jokes about me because I stuttered so badly. I wouldn't even raise my hand in class. Remember our teacher used to ask, if somebody want to read this, raise your hand. I would never raise my hands. I made sure my hands were always locked down between my knees and so forth. But it was because I stuttered so badly and that was my fear. And, and I still have that today. I still have that fear that I'm going to be speaking and there's going to be words that I cannot pronounce precisely or syllables that I'm not going to say precisely and and I have trouble sometimes uh, hearing all the syllables in a word and and my pronunciation of that word and boy that frightens me but somehow God has called me to do this and he's made it possible for me to do it and I always remember, Lord, I'm depending on you to speak to the hearts of the people. You do it for your glory and for your praise. Because this is not about me. This is all about him. And he has to do it. And he will do it. If you're willing to set yourself to the side and allow him to just use you for his glory. And Paul says, boy, I rejoice in my weakness. I'm glad in my weakness. Show me somebody who is glad that they're weak in an area. Unless they really know the Lord Jesus Christ. And they rejoice over what God then does in their life. They rejoice over it. And that's what James is talking about. That there's a joy that comes into the life of the Christian when they go through trials and temptations, and when they see the power of God at work in their lives. We have a form of godliness, but it denies the power of God. And we have to understand that. The form of godliness, you have people who are doing or living so forth in their own strength, living out what they think they believe or Whatever it is, but once they take a great fall or something, they don't get back up because it's a huge disappointment to them because they understood what they were trying to do was in their flesh. But see, the scripture tells the Christian, you will fall seven times, but seven times you shall rise. You're going to get back up. You're going to get back in the game. You're not just going to lay there and soak and feel sorry for yourself. You're going to get up and you're going to fall. Yes, you're going to fall. A child doesn't learn how to walk without some falling down, skinning of the knees. They don't learn how to walk without the falling. We don't learn how to walk with Jesus without the falling. We fall, but we don't stay there. 
we don't stay down. He gets us back up. And we're off again for him. Go to 2 Timothy 3.5, just before we get back in with the James. Go to 2 Timothy 3.5, because it's important to see exactly what we're talking about here a little bit. In 2 Timothy 3.5, he says, Having a form of godliness, that people work on having a form of godliness, and how they carry themselves, and they're this, and they're that, and it's all their own righteousness. It's like the Pharisees. But the thing is this here. Is it really the Holy Spirit working out the power of God in your life to perform and to live the Christ-like life? you got to ask yourself that question. Living the Christian life, is it you doing it? Or is it being done by the power of the Holy Spirit and you know the working of the Holy Spirit in your life? That you can identify the working of God in your life. Now you may have been somebody who knew it all. And you had a quick mouth. A sharp tongue. And boy, you you wanted to answer everything. Even to a point of being rude and disrespectful. And you were going to show off your knowledge. Well see, for the Christian... He understands he is to be slow to speak, quick to listen. And sometimes it's better off not to speak until you are asked to speak. You don't have to be someone who just pushes your way in because you have knowledge. Nor do you have to be someone to very quickly tell somebody else, you're wrong. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Of when you are to speak, when you are to be quiet. Oftentimes, people who just run off with their mouth over spiritual issues are trying to just show themselves godly, while in the inside, they really are not. When you have knowledge, you don't have to be boastful. Your knowledge is there to help others, not to shame others or bring others to a disgrace. Your knowledge is there to minister to them, to teach them, if they allow you to teach them. You don't have to force yourself on anyone because you may have a lot more knowledge than they have. And sometimes that's the godliness, the false godliness, that just want to be boastful and prideful and push itself out there. And he says, having a form of godliness, if you only have a form of godliness, you're not godly. You have an outer appearance of that, but inside you're like raving wolves. And he says, having a form of godliness, now catch what is going to be said here, because it's so important when we look back at James. But denying his power. You deny the very power that God wants to work in your life. What does he want to work? 
He knows your tongue can set a city on fire. And what he wants to do is quiet your tongue. He wants to bring your tongue under the control of the Holy Spirit. That you give a correct answer in due season at the right time. And you don't have to push that. And you don't have to argue from the position that you're right. You're able to make your statement and let it be and allow the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. And he says, but denying its power, denying that it is the power of God that has to work in a Christian life to bring about godliness without the Holy Spirit and the power of God at work in you, developing the person that God desires to develop. You are only acting as a Christian. You're portraying yourself as a Christian. But you know, really, what you are. And he says, they deny the power. And he tells us as Christians then, have nothing to do with them, folks. Have nothing to do with them. Because we all know of that word hypocritical. There's the hypocritical person saying this is what they are and trying to act like it, but have no power within to be what they say they are. Christ-like, godly, holy, sanctified, set apart. No power at all. <clears throat> so James is going to deal with that a little bit. Because he recognized God's desire is to develop us. God is out to develop each and every one of us that have been called into his service. Just like going into the military. The, mil the military can't really use you as a civilian. Therefore, they have to develop you into a soldier. They have to develop you. They have to teach you how to fight. They have to teach you how to work with a team of others. They have to educate you on what they now expect of you, not as a civilian, but as an Air Force person, as someone in the Navy, someone in the Marine Corps, someone in the Army, and whatever your MOS might be, whatever you qualify to be, you got to be trained in that. If that happens in our physical world, how much so do it happen in our spiritual world or in our church or in the body of Christ? That we are to be trained and developed and built up to what God would have us to be. So trials is nothing but a test by the teacher to see if the faith is authentic. A trial is nothing but a test by the teacher to see if the faith is authentic. Is it really of God 
or is it of self? And God knows it, but the one who doesn't know it, me. So God is showing me my faith. God is showing you your faith. It's not about having great faith, big faith, huge faith, lesser faith, little faith. It's about having faith because we're all on different levels as God teaches us. Just like in school, you go from kindergarten to first grade to second grade to third grade, all the way up through college, and then once through college, through master's, through doctrine, whatever, you continue to learn. The Christian life is very much like that. It's a constant learning and development within the subject or the area that God would have you function in. And it's a test now to see, boy, have I learned what God wants me to learn? And it's a test that I can somewhat measure myself in my development to see if I'm there yet. Because sometimes I can think more highly of myself than I ought. And God will give me the test and say, see, you're not as smart as you thought you were. You're not as smart as you thought you were. See, you ain't get an A. You got a C minus, but you thought you were an A student. No, you're just a C minus. And the whole thing is this here. He's out to develop. Therefore, in verse 2 of James chapter 1, he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, because the trials are going to be your test. It's going to test your faith. And there's a variety of testing. That takes place. And he says there are many kinds of trials, many kinds of tests that we're going to go through in life, testing our faith to see if it's genuine, to see if it's really of God. Or if it's just something that, as the young folks say, a, a wannabe, uh, you want to be this, but it's not genuine. That's not what you are. A lot of people are trying to be a rap, a rapper, but they're not a rapper. I love to sing, but I'm not a singer. The only one that enjoys my singing is God. Praise God. But the thing is this here. To know that I'm not a singer. But I love to sing. But I'm not a singer. There might be something you really love to do. But if you had to make a living at that, you would starve. So we are developed in other areas. But we have to be willing to work in those areas. And there is a difference between temptation and the trial. And I want you to understand that. There's a huge difference between temptation and the trial. Temptation comes in two forms. One, temptation from without. You see this or you see that and you want this and you want that and you want to do this and you want to do that all because of what you see on the outside. That looks good. That fool's gold will call you to it. But it's not real gold. It's not real 
And oftentimes people wind up running after something that's not really real. They're running after happiness, but what they're running after is not going to really bring them happiness. It's going to bring them sadness. It's going to bring them misery. They're really running after a life that is successful, but because the way that they go about it, it winds up being failure and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. That's temptation. That's temptation. You go after something that is not biblical, something is not scriptural, something that God really doesn't have for you. That's temptation. I want to be like this and I want to be like that. It's on the outside. And then there's the temptation that comes from within also. Have you ever been tempted just to tell somebody off? Have you ever been tempted just to use the wrong words? Well, it's already in there, isn't it? Have you ever been tempted to just hurt somebody? It's in, it's in here. And you have to deal with that, each one of us. And it takes more than just you to hold yourself back from doing what is on the inside trying to find its way out to express itself in the wrong way. So you're going to fight with those two temptations, that which is without and that which is within. A trial, again, is a test by the teacher to see if the faith is authentic, to allow you to know also where you are in your spiritual walk. So the trial is of God. It's going to teach you something. Now here's the two main differences. Temptation is to show forth your failure. Temptation is to bring you to a point of destruction. Temptation brings you to shame and guilt. A trial which comes from God, not from Satan. A trial is to teach you to stand. To stand as a Christian. To walk as a Christian. To live as a Christian. The trial is the, for the purpose of developing you that you might stand for the glory of God. It is not to make you feel shameful, guilty, to destroy you, or to cause you to fall and to be laughed at. That's temptation. And that all comes from Satan. Satan's out to destroy us. God is out to develop us. To, de to build us up for his glory and for his namesake. So there's a difference between that trial that development and that which comes from Satan which is to destroy us and to bring shame to us and have guilt upon us. So look back with me if you would please in verse 2 of James. He says, Consider it pure joy. Joy for what? 
of the power that's going to be demonstrated in your life as you go through a trial with God. Consider it pure joy. Why? Because God's going to teach you something new, something different in this trial. He's going to show you a little bit more of himself. And he's going to build character in you. And we'll look at that a little bit later over in Romans 5. Because the purpose of the trial is to develop you and build a godly character in you. In each one of us who named the name of Christ. Consider pure joy. You're rejoicing in the trial. Why would you be rejoicing in the trial rather than sad in the trial? You're rejoicing because you are an eyewitness. You have a front row seat of what God is doing in your life and through you. Boy, that's joy. That's joy. That's unspeakable joy. That's unexplainable joy. Because when you try to explain to people what you believe God is doing in you, you have to ask yourself, it sounds a little crazy, don't it? But it's real. And you know that it's real because you know it's not you, but it's God. It's God working in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit to develop the Christ life in you. And he says, rejoice in it, that there is a joy, my brethren, whenever you face trials. Why? Two things you're going to discover. One, you're going to discover your own inability and you're going to discover your own weaknesses. But you're going to also see the power of God being developed in your life. The strength of God that comes through being obedient unto him. The power of God released in your life. To live a Christ-like life, to live a godly life, to live a holy life, to live a life set apart from this world, but yet being in this world, but not enjoying the same things that this world per se enjoy and call fun. You have your fun in a different way. You have your enjoyment in a different way. Yes, you're in this world, but you don't treasure the things of this world, for your treasures are in heaven. Not here on the earthly plane. And you begin to recognize that. And you rejoice over that. And you see success differently than what the world sees success. And he says, boy, because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith, in verse 3, you always go through a test before a promotion. You always go through a time of learning before you are promoted. You always have to somehow prove that you would be able to handle the next step, uh, the next position. Uh, you somehow have to demonstrate you're capable and you have the ability to go to the next level. And therefore, you're always in life, to a certain degree, proving yourself. And that's the way it is in Christianity, even. You're proving your faith, not to other people. For this is not about other people. And you're not so much proving it to God, because why? God knows everything. 
God already knows where you're at in your faith, in your journey. But the one you prove it to is yourself. You show yourself what you're capable of doing with the help of God, the strength of God, the power of God. And as Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, I can. I can do it. Why? It's not the flesh doing it. It's not me doing it. It's not my strength doing it. It's the power of God being activated in my life. And that's amazing. That as I see it and as I watch it, boy, that develops me in my spiritual walk with Jesus. It develops a godly character within me. It develops a humbling character in me. Not a prideful character in a sense, but a humbling character in me. That is proud to be a child of God. And he says again, because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith, the proving of your faith, that's what's important. The testing of your faith, the proving of your faith, develops perseverance. That's what. It develops perseverance, endurance. That you're able to run the long haul, the long run. See, I'm not a cross-country runner. Oh, God knows if I start running cross-country, a marathon runner, it would take him and him alone to get me across that finish line. Oh, I could do the 100-yard dash, the 220, and at the most, the 440. But that other runs, boy, oh no, I would never think about it. At least that's me in the flesh. Because I know my limits in that area. But yet he says, I'm going to develop perseverance. And you know a cross-country runner has to have perseverance. You know when they're running cross-country, how many times they might feel like they want to drop out. Especially those runners who have uh, leg cramps. Those, those runners who begin to get shortness of breath. Uh, those runners who feel, boy, their legs are achy, their hips are aching, my foot is tired of pounding, uh, I just want to quit, but they don't quit, that's perseverance. That's the endurance. See, you're called to be a Christian, not for a short run, but for a long run. A cross-country runner. And that, God takes time to develop. He develops you to be that cross-country runner. He develops you to be that marathon runner. I couldn't even begin. That would be one of my worst nightmares, to wake up thinking that I'm running a 26-mile marathon. Oh, boy, that would just be torment to me. That would be a nightmare. But God is able. If he develops that, and that's what he wants of me, then let's go at it. Why? He's building something in me. There's a difference between that temptation and trial. 
Temptation, Satan's out to destroy you. The trial, God is out to make you stand. <laughs> now, the Christian life is not about one person being smarter than the other, better than the other. It's all about being a servant of God and being developed in such a manner that you can serve God at your very best. He knows what he has given to you. And he wants to sharpen that. And he wants to add those spiritual gifts into your life that are activated by the Holy Spirit and that are empowered by the Holy Spirit that you might be able to perform at your very best through the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we have to recognize that, yes, he's out to do that. And faith is not uh, uh, building on knowledge. There are a lot of people who can quote a lot of scriptures, but boy, they don't know the content from which those scriptures come from or flow from. What you're building on is that area of trust. See, faith always has to be trusting in something. Faith just by itself is nothing. Wishful wishing, and we might say it in that fashion. But biblical faith is anchored into a person. It's anchored into the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's anchored into a relationship. And you're going to build this relationship. And part of building this relationship is discovering how much can you trust Jesus Christ? Now, it's easy to say, I can trust him for anything and everything. But boy, when life really hits you, where is Jesus? When do you start trusting him? Are you in a life of trusting him? Or are you in that moment, come on, Jesus, come on, Jesus, where are you? See, God is developing faith in you that will trust him through all situations and circumstances. That's what God is doing. That you might persevere through every situation and every experience in life. That you might endure through every problem and trial in life. That you might persevere and that you yourself will discover that you can really trust him. Because the more you teach yourself that you can trust the Lord Jesus Christ and you can believe his word, the more faith is going to build up in you. It's like a child. In the early years of a child, is very dependent on mom and dad to guide, to teach, to take them here, take them there, keep them safe, secure, feed them, clothe them, prepare for them the things, the vacations, the fun. They're totally dependent upon mom and dad almost for everything. And then all of a sudden, they become 15, 16, 17, 
and all of a sudden that 15, 16, 17 feel like they're 50 and 70 years old. They know everything. They don't have to listen no more. They don't have to learn no more. They don't have to look for guidance anymore. They can do it. And they want to take out on their own, not even knowing the pitfalls of life. Not even knowing what it's going to take to provide for themselves. They think they know, but they have no idea what it is to pay a water bill. They have no idea what it is to pay an electrical bill, gas bill. They have no idea what it is to pay a rent payment first of the month. They've been so used to just coming in, going to their room, flopping on their bed, just they're at home and they're just doing. That's not adulthood. That's not real life. That's not taking on real responsibility. Those are the learning years. Those are the preparation years for later on in life. But all of a sudden they think they're ready to just take life by the horn and run with it. And what they do, they no longer need instructions from parents. They no longer need the guidance from parents. And usually when you find a child that comes to that type of decision for themselves and start rebelling against the rules and regulations and the instructions of a parent, you find a child who winds up ruining their lives for a number of years before they wake up and understand that mom and dad meant them well. Same thing with the Christian life. There's a lot of Christians who have somewhat bankrupt their life, ruined their life, hurt their life, and caused a lot of pain in other people's life because they wanted their independence. They wanted to do it their way, not God's way. They already knew everything about life, and they didn't need to be instructed about life anymore from this book. They, they know it all. He gives instructions in verse 5 that sometimes can be very difficult for us to want to accept and he says it in this way here in that verse 5 if any of you lack wisdom he should ask now he didn't say you didn't have wisdom he didn't say you didn't have knowledge he's talking about that which is lacking that in and of yourself, you're not all sufficient. God doesn't need a counselor. God doesn't need anybody to give him any more wisdom or knowledge. He's all sufficient within himself. And sometimes we think that about ourselves. We're all sufficient within ourselves. I need nothing else from outside. I can handle this. And God is saying if there's something that is lacking. Ask. Ask. Now, come down with me in verse 13. He's going to say this. Now, listen to this. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting them. When you're tempted out here, don't try to blame that on God. When you're tempted from within here to do something that is wrong against Scripture, don't try to justify that. 
by saying, God. Now you can go and ask God for wisdom on how to handle this temptation, and he'll show you if he has not already taught you. He'll teach you how to deal with that temptation. And then he goes on saying, he says, God is not tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. So what is God going to deal with? My own evil desires. But he has to show me those things. He has to reveal those things. And then he got to give me the wisdom of putting them down in my life. Of conquering those things in my life. Giving me victory of those things in my life. God has to do that. He has to give me what is lacking in me to deal with those things that will hinder me in my spiritual growth. And he says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, it develops endurance. Perseverance then must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Now catch this, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. If any of you lack wisdom, if you lack wisdom, how do you know if you lack wisdom? By self-examination and by confessing, Lord, I need this. I need more. I need further understanding. I need to know how to work through this situation and that situation. Lord, would you give me the right words to speak to Tom tomorrow on the job? Lord, would you give me discernment and wisdom in being able to handle this situation? Uh, i got to have an answer for my boss, but Lord, I'm not clear yet. Would you make it very clear for me that I can present a presentation that would be worthy of your glory? <laughs> Would you work through me, Lord, and give me the wisdom that's needed? That's why he says ask. And that asking is coming to God and asking him to be that counselor, to be that guidance person in your life, to help you to order your steps, to uh, uh, set you in a frame of confidence that he's going to lead you and guide you through each area. He said, come on, let's talk. And when you talk with God, you'll gain wisdom. You'll gain wisdom. See, you can have knowledge, but know, not know how to apply the knowledge. Wisdom will give you what you need to be able to apply the knowledge in the correct manner. And God gives wisdom that you can apply the knowledge that you have learned. He gives wisdom. And he wants you to have that wisdom. 
a child, a young person go out to buy their first home, and, and boy, they don't know nothing about buying a home, but they'll trust the realtor. And I'm not saying you should not trust your realtor, but they will trust their realtor and everything the realtor says. And mom and dad then went through this process maybe two or three times, and they won't believe a thing mom and dad says. Mom and dad has bought two or three homes. They haven't bought their first home. But they won't listen to mom and dad. And we do the same thing with God. We shut him out. And we won't listen to him. We won't hear him. And the trials is there to develop us. Often what we experience is not for the present, but is for the learning for the future. Well, I'm going to stop there or I, I'll just keep going, and but we'll pick back up because there's so much in this to learn yet. And um, I want us to just go through these first eight verses because there's so much here. And uh, we'll pick some of that up uh, Monday or Tuesday. Be looking forward to it. So we're going to get back in this book of James just a little bit because God wants to develop you. He wants to build your faith. And I want you to understand something. As God is building, is always your choice. The building blocks, the development blocks, are positive or negative. But they're based on your decision. Your decision to build in a positive way with God or your decision to build in a negative way in a way in which the world builds. And if you do it the world's way, there's nothing but failure, pain, and hurt. But if you do it God's way, there's victory. There's joy. There's what is called abundant life in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for walking us through this first couple of verses with James. And as we continue in this chapter, Lord, would you guide us? Would you minister to us? Would you allow the words of this writer to be a blessing in our lives? Give us ears to hear. Give us the heart to receive. Give us the desire to perform and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the trials that prove to us that our faith is genuine in Jesus Christ. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. See you on Tuesday, most likely. God bless. Bye. It was happening here.